Hi, everyone. Nice to be with you all again. Another Sunday to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the truthfulness of who he is and in the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. We are endeavoring to seek out that very thing of understanding who the Holy Spirit is, his role, what he does, how he does it. Uh, there was a very kind of a natural progression that was leading us in terms of, in our minds as leaders, into this space here of needing to understand, having gone through Matthew, we talked a lot about our part in the mission of Christ, how we are to live, what we ought to think and believe and desire and pursue. Um, but there's a whole other part of that, and that's God's sovereign part, empowered by his spirit. And so we're spending the next couple of months um, looking at and, and studying the role of the Holy Spirit. And we have broken it into kind of four major sections is that, that, we'll, that we'll break down as we go along. But the four sections are this. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't look up there. Don't worry. You don't get distracted by just yet. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers. It's the Holy Spirit who purifies. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals. And it's the Holy Spirit who unifies, empowers, purifies, reveals, and unifies. So we're going to look at each one of those. And within those, we've already begun to kind of break them down. And two weeks ago, so we started this whole study two weeks ago, and we looked at the Holy Spirit empowers for life, not just for the duration of our life, but for life is in all of creation. And it was also said the Holy Spirit empowers life of the new creation as well. For all of creation as well as for the believer in salvation and in continuation. And then we looked at last week that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers for service through gifts. And we, we looked at the Corinthians text from Paul of the charismata of the gifts. And we sought a biblical understanding of what it really is, the expression of gifts or the, the charismata of Christ within the church to build the church and to unify the church and to mature the church, but also to express the grace of God as conduits, as Rick said last week, to the outside world. And then I just want to remind you that before all of that, two weeks prior, three weeks prior, I taught what I call the prologue to this whole series. And I preached on patterning, being patterned for mission. And then I spoke about the importance of patterning these vessels, our lives, patterning these vessels away from worshiping the world and towards worshiping the eternal increasingly more and more and more. You guys remember that. And I'm, the, the reason that I'm bringing this up right now is because um, I, I want to remind us that, that there's a need for seeing this uh, as a whole. There's cohesion between these. There's interplay that happens between. I think it's really easy for us oftentimes to separate the workings of the Spirit or at least compartmentalize the workings of the Spirit. And I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there is significance in the continuity between the topics that we are discussing. That it's 
all of God, all of what he does, it works in harmony to bring about the will of God on earth. So it isn't just the Holy Spirit does this and the Holy Spirit does this and the Holy Spirit does this and there's no correlation and there's no relation, but all of them are working together in harmony to do and complete the will of God. So I just want to encourage you guys as we go along in this, be remembering and be mindful and be listening and thinking and studying and maybe even go back and stream some of the portions or all of what we've talked about in the weeks past so that what happens is you find yourself somewhat as building blocks, laying one on top of the other until suddenly this more robust picture of who the Holy Spirit is is presented in your own heart. Doing this, I would say, not only gives us a more broad biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, but I would say very much importantly that it strengthens how we can then expect for him to move and act on behalf of his church in the world. Our faith is lit. Our faith is stirred as we begin to see all the different ways that the Holy Spirit is at work. I would say that it strengthens and it increases our faith when we begin to see it this way. So this morning, as I said, we're looking at, we're continuing to look at the Holy Spirit empowers. And as you can see from the monitors up there, the theme for this morning's teaching is that the Holy Spirit empowers us for service in mission. And there's three ways that the Holy Spirit does this specifically that I'm going to cover this morning, that he empowers us for service in mission to first proclaim. That's probably kind of a no-brainer, right? But we're actually going to look at it. The Holy Spirit has been given to you for this purpose. It's not that you have to somehow be filled with the Spirit in order to do this. But we as believers have been given the Spirit through regeneration who dwells within us, who desires to do this through us as we step out in obedience. So he empowers us for service in mission to proclaim. Secondly, he empowers us to discern. So to proclaim, to discern. And thirdly, what we'll look at today is that he empowers us for service in mission to overcome. Remember, this is about him. This is about what he does. We've considered our part, what we must do. Don't lose sight of that. But this is God's sovereign part. This is the partnership that he does as we move in obedience. Turn with me, please, to the book of Acts. I'm going to use this text just as the launching point for today. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. It won't be on the monitor this morning. But if you don't have the ESV, you can listen if that's helpful or you can process from your own narration, your own, your own, um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 6. Actually, you know what? I want to start in verse 1. All you people on your phone have to go back and reset your app. That's why you should bring a Bible. All right. Oh, that's good. He's got a Bible. I don't know. I was talking to Blake, who was groaning as I, as I changed. 
It's all right. This is all part of it. This is the, you know, the jib-jab. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with, Holy, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord, as always, we want to just pause for a moment and we want to thank you for the written word of scripture that we have to meditate upon, that we have to guide us and to direct us, Lord, to encourage us, to teach us, um, to correct us, Lord God, when we are in error. Father, we thank you for it. And I thank you for this passage of scripture this morning, which is so significant to us as believers that we today, Father, for those of us who are gathered, would find ourselves stirred and incited into faithful acts of service for you, Lord God. That it would not be a mustering up of our own efforts, Lord, but that we would lean into the empowerment of the Holy Spirit today to be about as a community and as individuals, Lord, the very thing that you have called us to. So my prayer, my request, as one who is presenting the word of God this morning, Lord, would you speak through me and give me words, Father, that would speak to hearts? And would you, by your spirit, convict hearts this morning to change and to correct, Lord God, and to be encouraged as you would will? Father, we thank you so much that the word of God is living and active. And Lord, this morning it is unto your glory that we commend our hearts now at this time. We give to them to you, Lord God, to do as you will. In the name of Jesus, amen. So it's probably no surprise at the moment what I want to focus on this morning as we consider that we've been empowered and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission, for service in mission, is this verse here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The first thing I want you guys to notice is this. It's the distinction that Jesus makes. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. What does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The first thing I want to say is inseparable from the commission to be witnesses, you guys. 
is the divine power that is necessary in order to complete the charge. It's foolish for us to think that we would just go about in certain aspects of going about mustering up our own courage to complete this. When God has given to us the great helper who empowers us and enables us to accomplish the task. And we have to begin in this space. See, my concern is that we've become so disconnected from the mission that we've been called to because of various reasons, I would say, that we could probably point to in our own hearts, that we don't truly perceive the power which is promised and given to us. Think about it for a moment. At times where you've endeavored to be faithful, do you lean into the power of the Holy Spirit or do you just try to accomplish it on your own? I think it's natural for us sometimes because we are natural beings in the one sense to forget this very significant aspect of the commissioning of Jesus Christ. Each one of you here today has been given a measure of the Spirit, has been given and empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task. But it's the power, and I want to look at this here for a moment. There's something that is common right now if you're reading, especially here in the city of Sacramento, or not here, we're in Rancho, but in the city of Sacramento, the homeless crisis, and there's something that comes up a lot. You hear this acronym, it's called NIMBY, right? NIMBY, not in my backyard. Have you guys heard that? I think sometimes the church has some missional NIMBY where we've missed the calling, where we have disconnected from the mission of the church, where we have uh, lost sight and, and, and maybe perhaps even misunderstood this power that's necessary in order to be all that we have been called and created to be in Christ Jesus as his church. So this idea of receiving power, the Greek word for power here is the word dunamis. It's the word dunamis, where we get English, the English word for tender, right? Soft, right? Is that what that incites? Dunamis? Non-disruptive, perhaps, maybe? No. Dunamis, it's very clear. The power that we, re we receive from, you know, obviously from the English word comes from dynamite. It's disruptive, it's powerful, it's impacting. Dunamis is the inherent power that resides in a thing as a result of its nature, which that thing exerts and puts forth. So as the church, it's the power of Christ invisibly present and operative. The dunamis, you will receive dunamis, you will receive dynamite ability, dynamite power, dynamite and impacting dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Interestingly, and actually somewhat amazingly, this word appears more than 120 times in the New Testament. Each time it's intimately involved with God's plan for redemption in creation. Listen to this. I'll, I'm gonna throw these up there for you all. I'm not gonna turn to them, but I just want you to listen how closely correlated this Truth of dunamis is to what God does. Firstly, it's God's dunamis that sustains all of creation. Hebrews 1, 3. Nature, it says, Paul tells us in Romans 1, that nature reveals God's power. 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, by his power, it says, Sarah conceived Isaac. By his power, it tells us that Mary conceived Jesus in her womb. Same word. This is all the same usage. Jesus was anointed with this dunamis for his ministry. Jesus exercised and operated and functioned in this power here on earth. He was raised by God's dunamis, it tells us. And 1 Corinthians 6.14 says that we, in turn, will be raised by that same power. We are regenerated by it, Romans 1.16. We're guarded by it, 1 Peter 1.5. And we are empowered by it, 2 Peter 1.3, and multiple other examples of it. And it tells us this, that God's kingdom, the Gospels and Paul and Corinthians says that God's kingdom comes in dunamis power. The apostles ministered in it. His church, 1 Corinthians 5.4 tells us that his church is gathered by this power. That it grows by this power. And interestingly enough, that through this power we are enabled to give generously until the day when it says this in the Gospels when Jesus will return in this power. So all of what God is doing is directly correlated with this idea that we have been given this power, that it doesn't come from us, but it comes from the Spirit of God that resides within us. It's uber power, right? You get that. It was building. It was building and building and building. So listen to this. In other words, it isn't the power that we often think of, which we have received and been clothed in, that it's only a sliver of what he is doing in power in the world. It's his dunamis that's, in, that's active in all that he does, which includes his church. Oftentimes, I think we relegate it to just this subsection of Christianity. And what I'm telling you guys this morning is that this power is at work within us. And we have to be aware and we have to seek the Spirit of God to work in such a way as he has designed and created us for mission. So listen, to reduce it or to relegate it to a subset of evangelicalism like charismania or hyper-Pentecostalism, right? Which I think sometimes we often do if we've been in the church long enough. We go, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's over here. That's on the fringe. But listen, to compartmentalize it that way is to miss the fact that it's inextricably tied to God himself, to his sovereignty and his plan for mankind. And therefore it behooves us to understand and pursue understanding more biblically of what this power is that is through the Spirit of God for his church. Throughout the Old Testament, there are examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon people and empowering them to accomplish a task that he's called them to. Men like Joshua, Gideon, Samson, it tells us multiple times throughout the Old Testament, David, of course, as well. And then we have Jesus 
the archetype for the new creation, presented in the Gospels, and and Isaiah prophesies it, and we see it fulfilled in the Gospels that the Spirit of God comes upon him and empowers Jesus for ministry with this dunamis power. But unlike the men in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God would come and would empower and would lift, now we see in Jesus Christ a new pattern for a Holy Spirit empowerment that comes and remains, that he functions and that he operates within, that's integral, as we read a moment ago, to God's kingdom, which comes in power. So the acts that he did were empowered. The life that he did was empowered by the Spirit of God to accomplish that which he had been called to do. And of course, this remaining presence is the promise for the disciples that we read here in Acts 1.8 that they were to wait for, which would come at Pentecost, which was tied directly to the mission that they had been called to do to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the power, you guys, that we too have received at our conversion. And we ought to seek it in faith, to move in as God prompts and makes opportunity for. It's the same manifestation of the charismata that Rick spoke of last week. That's the power of God moving in us and through us. I'm just wanting to tie us, you guys, in faith to this truth so that we wouldn't live from just a space of our own efforts. Man, but we have been given a a rich and deep deposit through Christ Jesus for this life. And as it pertains to the things that we are endeavoring to do that we believe that God has called us to. These aren't things that we can do outside of God's divine ability, you guys. We can, we, can, we can open our mouths and we can speak, but it's God and his power who convert the hearts of men and women, that convict people into repentance and bring them into forgiveness. We have to realize that we are partnered here, that we co-labor with Christ Jesus in this. So let's look at these three things here today. The Holy Spirit empowers. I'm going to just give what I, I'm going to call them three calls and then three responses. Again, that it's the Spirit that empowers us to proclaim, to discern, and to overcome. But there's also responses of, that we can play, that we can have within each one of those. So we're empowered. We are empowered. So we looked at this power promise in Acts 1.8. Now let's consider for us the ways in which the Holy Spirit works through his church and mission. And the first one, again, is that he empowers us for service and mission to proclaim. To proclaim. To proclaim the word boldly. To proclaim the word boldly and with great power. Think of the challenges that we face within culture. It's going to require the type of boldness that the Uh, that the disciples and the new believers prayed for in Acts 4. Lord, grant us boldness as we continue and stretch out your hand to do great signs and wonders in your name as we continue to preach with great boldness. It's not about how much courage we can muster up in ourselves. Yes, we need faith. Yes, we have to step out in obedience. Yes, it requires those things. But listen, what we're seeing here is God's part when we do those very things. 
when we have faith, when we step out in, in obedience, what we have is a promise here that God's design is set as such that he will move in us as we step out in proclamation, that he will empower us in these ways. We must not and need not be frightened or afraid or fearful of what the response will be because God has empowered us to proclaim. What a wonderful encouragement. Let these things soak up in your heart this morning. Let the Lord stir you in this today. I know that you guys are with me in this. I know that you guys are desiring too to see in your own kind of missional spheres, if you will, a type of impact that sees the gospel bear fruit. But sometimes, guys, we get disconnected from the mission. We get discouraged. We get fearful. We don't maybe really believe or understand what has been given to us through God for this very task. The picture that comes to mind in this empowering to proclaim is the vision that Isaiah has in chapter 6 when the Lord commissions Isaiah to be used as his tool, as his mouthpiece, and to begin to speak and prophesy on behalf of the Lord God. And Isaiah sees a vision where an angel, he comes to him having taken a coal from the altar, it says, with tongs in his hand, and he places the coal against Isaiah's lips. And he pronounces Isaiah clean. And what does the Lord say directly after that vision is seen by Isaiah? The Lord says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us, the Lord says. And Isaiah's response, I love just the simple grammar that's there. He says, here am I with an exclamation point. There's no pause that's given in this whole vision that Isaiah, it's not, he goes, you know, has to go and kind of think about it and stir on it for a moment and really see if that word resonates with his spirit. Now he says, here am I, his response is, here am I, and he says, send me. That's this picture that we have here in the empowering to proclaim is the response that we have in this moment. Here we are, Lord. Will you send us? You have given us your spirit to empower us to accomplish this task. Here we are. We are vessels of obedience. We are vessels of God's presence and spirit. We are conduits of God's grace. Use us. Use us. Use us. Use us up as Rick was saying last week. It begins, I would say, with a recognition, with a conviction, and with a declaration that he has called us to a task. Very simply, it begins there. Let's recognize that God has called us to something, to this very thing. I think I was thinking about this. I think sometimes we're like the student who's in class who's trying to not make eye contact with the teacher because we don't want them to call on us, right? I think that we do that sometimes with God. We're like, oh, no, 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 don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. And he goes, Matt, I'm calling on you to answer this question, right? We do that sometimes, I think, with the Lord when we're out and about, when we're in our places of, of work, or it's like we're just going, no, no, like, and, and, and whether we're doing it intentionally, I know I'm making, I'm making light of it, but there is some reality to that because we do it unintentionally by not being prepared, by not being aware, by not taking the time in the mornings to say, Lord, like, use me today according to your will and to your purposes. My calendar is your calendar. My schedule that I've set is such, Lord, disrupt it throughout this day. Lord, give me eyes to see the broken and the lost who you would bring 
in my path. It's like Peter and John going to the gate, going to the synagogue to worship through the gate, beautiful. And the lame beggar who it says, who has been there for, they don't say how long, but from his whole life, he has been a, a blind and, no, not blind. He's a lame, he's a, a, a disabled man that's begging for money at the gate, beautiful. And Peter and John, they walk by him. But what happens after the Holy Spirit comes on the Pentecost? They walk by the man and suddenly their eyes are open to this man's cry. Are our eyes open to the cries of the lost, to the people that the Lord has put in front of us each and every single day, day after day after day after day? And we're doing this, oh, no, no, don't call me, don't call my name, please don't say my name, please don't say my name. Right? Listen, I do it, you guys. I do it too. We all do it. But it's not, it's not, this isn't like a condemnation, like wake up and get about it, you guys. No, no, what I'm saying is, is the Holy Spirit is in you to do this very thing. And not only is he in you desiring to do it, but he's in you empowering you with the ability to have your eyes opened. But again, it's a partnership. How do we prepare ourselves? How have we patterned ourselves? Have we prepared ourselves throughout the morning and the, going on through the day to say, Lord, open my eyes to those whom you have placed around me. Our response then to this truth that we have been empowered in mission to proclaim is this. It is a readiness that we engage in. We are poised. We are positioned. We are balanced. We're steady. We're calibrated. We're ready to engage. The scripture that came to mind as I was thinking about this was Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he's talking about the full armor of God in chapter 6. And in verse 16, uh, 15, he says, having on your feet as shoes, he says, readiness. Having on your feet as shoes, readiness given by the gospel of peace. Not readiness for the gospel, but readiness given by the gospel. So in other words, we already have, when you look at these kind of silly loafers I wear, we already have them on. These are my, these are my loafers of readiness for the gospel of peace. And I put them on every day and I stretch out my hammies, right? And I get myself prepared and ready to engage in what God has for us. And as you go out the front door and you get in your car and you drive to work and you go to the Starbucks or you go to the wherever it is that you go, you have on your feet the shoes of readiness. Are we preparing ourselves? Are you preparing yourselves? Super simple, guys. We can do it with a prayer and with an intent of heart. And let's believe together that as we do this collectively, we will see God move because, again, it's his desire and his design. So he's empowered us to proclaim. Secondly, he empowers us for service in mission to discern. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, which we looked at last week, one of the manifestations of the charismata is the ability to discern between spirits, Paul says. In Matthew, the instruction from Jesus is to judge rightly, which we looked at, or to discern, Jesus says, to the disciples, so as to not give to dogs 
what is holy and as to not throw before pigs the pearls, right? See, we as believers, you guys, listen to this. As it pertains to discerning, as it pertains to your ability to discern between spirits, we are taught by the Spirit of God, the Bible teaches us. We as Christians are led by the Spirit of God. And we walk in step with the Spirit of God. This is how we were designed. This is the, this is the spiritual kind of environment, if you will, the ecosystem that we live our lives in, in terms of unity and participation with the Spirit. We're taught by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit. And we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's not a far cry to then think of having those things being alive and vibrant within our life. Yes, that God would give us this ability by his Holy Spirit empowerment to discern rightly between truth and between error, between the spirit of the age and between the spirit of God and what he's calling us to. And I'm telling you more and more, as you guys so very well know, more and more and more and more that which is of the world seems to be creeping into the church. And the need for this type of discernment becomes greater and greater. And I know probably each one of us here have had some sort of circumstance where we've had to engage, wait a minute, is this you, God? Is this really you? Or perhaps is this something else? Is this error? We need to know and to understand what Scripture says about significant matters in the world. Which ones are false? Which ones are in opposition to God? What spirit is in opposition to what God is doing? What does Scripture say about these things? That's a very practical way that we can hone the part that we play of discerning, studying, giving ourselves to, meditate upon, wrestle with deep, difficult things of the faith. Listen, don't just wait for one of us elders to teach it to you. Don't go looking necessarily only for it to be podcasted to you or reading some supplementary material. Pick up the word of God and read what the word of God says is true. And that's difficult because not everything is plain. You don't just turn to you know, the 2 Corinthians or 3rd or 4th Corinthians and read about the LGBT community, right? So we have to begin to study ourselves, to equip ourselves, to prepare ourselves so that as we engage in discerning matters, we have done due diligence so that the Lord can come alongside and by his spirit say, no, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't of me. As we do this, we prepare ourselves to be these vessels of God's dunamis power, poised and ready with the promise that the Holy Spirit will teach us what we need to say when the moment arises drawing from the deep well that we've dug in our own hearts, right? Are we digging a deep well? Are you digging a deep well in yourself? Let's be diligent to dig them deep 
so that we can draw from them when needed. In addition to this personal preparation that we engage in, Paul encourages us two verses later in his, in his Ephesians 6 text, In verse 17, he says that we must take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And he says this, keeping alert with all perseverance. What is our response to this? What what part do we play in, in this idea that God empowers us for mission with discernment? It's an alertness. It's, a, it's being awake, having the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Keep alert with all perseverance, Paul says. Let's not be as those who are asleep. Let's not be as those who are unaware of the day or the hour in which we live, like the virgin whose lamp was not lit. Let's be as those who are awake. Let's be those who are alert, you guys, prepared with our lamps, ready with oil, awaiting Christ's return. It's a simple thing being alert, isn't it? It's just a conscious decision in, a, in some senses to start there. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to engage right now. Rather than unplugging, which we maybe want to do at that moment, like, I'm going to engage right now. I'm going to have my antennas up. And I'm going to have my sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, prepped in my hand, deep within my heart, ruminating within me. <coughs> bearing fruit, stirring my spirit, so that as I go about in proclamation, I'm able to discern rightly what is of God and what is not. What is truth and what is error? What is the person who's sitting across from you over lunch as a coworker that they're saying and espousing to be true? How can you bring rightly and thus see the, the truthfulness of God pierce the heart of the individual in that moment? Thirdly, he empowers us The Holy Spirit empowers us for mission to overcome. The reminder here, I think, is pretty simple. That it is the Holy Spirit in us who is greater than the one who is in the world. Revelation 2.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. In verse 11, he says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Listen, the overcoming victory of the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, is our confidence that we too will be victorious through the power of the Spirit as we continue in his mission and ministry here on earth. The cross, you guys, is, is, is inseparably tied to the mission of the church. And I would say even beyond that, it is the lifeblood. It's the literal lifeblood of the church itself. It's the basis by which not only do we come and we enter and we worship, but it's the basis by which we go and we act and we believe. Not just the death, but also the resurrection. Right. Jesus' sacrifice, his shed blood, is not only to be seen as a personal comfort, reminding ourselves of the atonement made on our behalf. It's not just meant for that, 
The blood of the lamb on the cross is a powerful prevailing weapon that is to be wielded by the church. For ourselves, we stand firm in it. Again, preach to your own soul its sufficiency to overcome sin and its effectiveness to bring about righteousness in your life. Preach that to yourself daily. Remind yourself daily the power of the blood of the Lamb can overcome the sinfulness in our hearts and in our lives. Remind yourself of that. But don't forget that Christ is not dead. He is alive. And he is resurrected. And he is in a place of all authority today. There's no other name above his, nor no other plan that is greater. There's no power that's more supreme. We sing the song, In Christ Alone. It's the, the modern hymn. And what's the verse in it? Where he says, No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home. The last line is this. Here in the power of Christ, I will stand. There's nothing that can surpass the authority and the supremacy and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ where he is today. Praise be to God that we, through Christ Jesus, can overcome. The verse that I had this morning coming into this was, was in 2 Corinthians. You can turn with me if you, if you wouldn't mind at this moment. Turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to read this together. It's such a beautiful reminder that Paul has to the Corinthian church in chapter 2 and in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2.14, I was reminded of this this morning in prayer. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then verse 15 is this beautiful Statement, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Praise be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession. The NASB has a wonderful translation of that as well. That was the word I was looking for in the beginning. I said interpretation, huh? Translation. We overcome, you guys, because he first overcame on our behalf. And as he sits as the firstborn among many, as the first fruits of the new creation, our confidence is that we who come after live in, walk in, act in the same overcoming spirit that is the Holy Spirit within us. He has empowered us to overcome by his blood on the cross and his resurrection to places in the heavenly places. So what then is our response? If the call is to remember and to know that he has empowered us in mission to overcome, what is our response? I would say our response then is that we are diligent. The Romans, 2, uh, the Romans 12, 2 text of, of Paul's admonition saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Be diligent to be transformed. Be diligent to, to be patterned towards the eternal things and away from the worldly things. Each day, begin with reminding yourselves of these truths. 
Remind yourself that you've been called, that you've been commissioned, and that you've been enabled and empowered by the dunamis of the Lord. That through Christ, listen, victory is certain, church. Victory is certain in the mission. That by his spirit that's, work, that's at work within you, there is great power to accomplish the task at hand and to testify as the gospel is declared. Remind yourselves of those things. As you're getting up in the morning and as you are, are preparing yourself to be ready, as you are, are making yourself awake and alert, be diligent in your own hearts to purpose these things to be set before you. God, this is what is true. And as we do that, I believe that we bring our hearts in alignment to what God wants to do with us in that day. Does this make sense? I hope this is resonating with you guys again. I believe that this is absolutely crucial. This, I, this, this truth of, of the empowerment of the Spirit of God, the, the literal power that resides within us. Again, not, not that we take out and wield when we want. Again, let's remember what was said last week of the charismata. It's according to the Spirit of God as he will. But as we prepare and align ourselves, man, that we would have faith to see God use us and move through us in mighty ways. That text that we read, I'll just close with this. The text that we read at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, Luke records that after Jesus' resurrection, he was with the disciples, it says, for 40 days. And during that time, it says this, that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Think about this for a moment. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. What's the significance of that? He had just spent the three years plus prior to that teaching them and talking to them about the kingdom of God. And he resurrects and he comes back and he speaks to them about the kingdom of God. There was something, listen, it was the, it was the power in the post-resurrection message of God's kingdom that he wanted them to learn and to understand. Brothers and sisters, it's where we stand today. The post-resurrection story of God's kingdom. That's what this is. That's what he was getting into his disciples. That was the significance of him being with them again and teaching them, listen, it's different now, you guys. It's different because I've secured these things. These things are final. They're secure. They're, they're, they're unable to be changed. Now, Wait for the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you. And when he does, he will empower you. Like he has empowered me, he will empower you to be my witnesses, he says. Everything was changed, I think, at that point on. The power of the cross, Jesus' resurrection, and the heart of, the, our, our, and, and the heart of, of mission were just at the core of what Jesus was doing. Not just for our message, I would say, but it's crucial that we understand the source of this power is given by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit to accomplish and to overcome. And let's remember where we stand in the story. We're post-resurrection, guys. Jesus is seated today in the heavenly places. So fix your mind on the things that are there. Let's be alert. Let's be ready. Let's be diligent so that God can begin to use us in these ways as we step out in faith. Can you agree with me that, at least in that much? Stand with me, please.
Father, we are so thankful that you have not left us, left us to witness alone. But Lord, you sent to us your spirit and you've called us now, Lord, to partner with your spirit. And so I, I pray, Father, for this calibration that I spoke of this morning, Lord, that we would uh, be given to both calibrating our own hearts and minds towards you, Lord, but that you would calibrate this church, Father, into a place of, of faith and expectation, uh, Father, of what you want to do through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask for those of us today who have been living in a pattern of self-sufficiency, Lord, that you would help us today to turn and to lean into you. God, we cannot overcome without your spirit who overcomes. Lord, we cannot effectively proclaim without your spirit who convicts and changes the hearts of men and women. And Lord, we know that we cannot discern rightly apart from knowing truth. Lead us into truth, Lord, we pray. Lead us into knowledge and understanding of your will, Lord God, that we would be a church who wields mightily the sword of the Spirit. I pray, Father, for those of us today, again, just continuing to ask, Lord, where we might not have a grid for this fully. Perhaps we've seen it abused. Perhaps we don't believe it fully ourselves or at all. Lord, or, or perhaps we're just kind of embryonic in our understanding. Lord, we ask that you would take what has been spoken and that you would massage the truth into our hearts to change the way that we think, Father. Forgive us where we have tried to change you to fit our thinking. Now, Lord, we repent today and we turn from those ways of error and we say, God, use us. Shod our feet, Lord, with shoes of readiness by the gospel of peace. Yeah. Put in our hands the sword of the Spirit, the ability to discern, Lord, and, and as Isaiah, his vision, Lord, that we would be responsive. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Here we are, Lord. Use us. Here we are, Lord, your vessel. Fill us, Lord, with your presence and your power for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.